Uh, uh, hi, welcome to our podcast. I'm Albert Dunn. I'm Ryan McGovern. I'm James Kerr. And I'm Eric Moon. And today we'll be talking about chapters four to six on All Quiet on the Western Front. All right, first we need to go over some figurative language. So one excerpt I found was on page 115 at the very bottom. It says, the brown earth, the torn blasted earth with a greasy shine under the sun's rays. The earth is the background of this restless gloomy world of automatons. Our gasping is the scratching of a quill. Our lips are dry, our heads are debauched with stupor. Thus we stagger forward and into our pierced and shattered soul fours, the torturing image of the brown earth with the greasy sun and the convulsed and the con- convulsed and dead soldiers who lie there. It can't be helped, who cry and clutch at their legs as we spring away over them. So that is one sentence, and it sets the scene for the battle that they're about to have with the French, and the impact on the reader is that it lets them kind of visualize the fight better. And you're like, dang, this is a pretty crappy place to be, and they have to murder people on it, you know? It's not fun. Uh, that's cool, Ryan. Um, my passage is close to yours. It's on page 114 at the top, and it says, Crouching like cats, we run on, overwhelmed by this wave that bears us along, that fills us with ferocity, turns us into thugs, into murderers, into God only knows what devils. This wave that multiplies our strength with fear and madness and greed of life, seeking and fighting for nothing but our deliverance. If your own father came over with them, you would not hesitate to fling a bomb at him. So that just shows like how like in a survival state, like the soldiers were during the counterattack on the front lines. And it shows like how like the desperate nature of war like brings out like the inhumanity in you, like the savage in you, like similar to Jack and Lord of the Flies. Like it shows like their aggression and all their like pent up like anger and like fear for survival, like just released against the enemy. So they're just fighting kind of to survive and they'd be willing to kill their father if it meant having a better yeah, chance like at living. figuratively. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, a passage that I found was on 101 and it says, The front is a cage in which we must await fearfully whatever may happen. We lie under the network of arching shells and live in a suspense of uncertainty. Over us, chance hovers. If a shot comes, we can duck. That is all. We neither know know nor determine where it will fall. So this basically means that whether they live or die is up to chance, and that's why they're indifferent about death, because they really don't have any control over it. So, like, chance is, like, basically personifying, like, their indifference? Exactly. (laughs) That's a big word. Mm. So my quote was... Slightly after when the first bombardment of gas shells it says these first minutes with a da- mass beside between life and death. Is it airtight? I remember the awful sights in the hospital of the gas patients who in day long suffocation cough up their burnt lungs and clots. Cautiously the mouth applied to the valve I breathe. The gas still creeps over the ground and sinks into all the hollows like a big soft jellyfish. It flows into our shell hole and lulls there obscenely. Um, I, this was like very there's so much imagery here and I think it kind of like sim, like the jellyfish kind of symbolized like the toxic and poisonous nature it, it may seem kind of like kind of not really deadly you could say but like the tr- as seen in the, in the first part of the passage you can see the basically fatal wounds that it can cause 
So like, how does that affect the reader? I felt I it just um, before this, I, we thought of gas just as being like um, it is like uh, it is used in war. However, I did not know like to the extent of how how deadly it could be. I did not know that they basically just die if it even if even a little little bit goes in their lungs. So you didn't know that like it's like a jellyfish that creeps in and it can get to you even if you think you're in a safe spot and so it shows you how much more dangerous it is than you first thought yeah. you thought you were safe inside but mm-hmm. not wait so like hang on eric how does chance like affect the reader like honestly the soldiers are indifferent but like how does chance affect the reader i mean it just shows the extent of like um it just shows the extent to which um life and death isn't up to um, like, isn't up to them that um, they're like literally huddled up in um, the war zone and all they can do is lie and wait and see if they live or not based on where the shells land. Wait, so like how does that make you feel? I, well, <laughs> it just shows... Um, we say you feel shocked. Yeah. There you go. Oh. Hi, so uh, welcome to our podcast. I'm Albert Dunn. I'm Ryan McGovern. I'm James Kemp. And I'm Eric Moon. And today we'll be talking about figurative language and, and symbolism in chapters 4 through 6 of All Quiet on the Western Front, our favorite depressing World War I novel. <laughs> yes, I'll start with the passage on the bottom of page 115 to the top of page 116. It says, The brown earth, the torn, blasted earth with a greasy shine under the sun's rays. The earth is a background of this restless, gloomy world of automatons. Our grasping is the scratching of a quill. Our lips are dry. Our heads are debauched with stupor. Thus we stagger forward and into our pierced and shattered souls. Boys, the torturing images of the brown earth with the greasy sun and the convulsed and dead soldiers who lie there. They can't be helped. Who cry and clutch at our legs as we spring away over them. So this kind of helps you visualize the battle that's going on between the Germans and the French. There's all these dead people it's on this kind of barren landscape and it just really lets the reader understand how awful war is because you're like killing people but you're not killing them in hawaii you're killing them in this you know like that sounds good but i also felt like kind of disgusted because it talks about like corpses and then like they also just use the greasy sun a lot so like that kind of makes you feel like icky inside so like Uh uh-huh Sun made them feel gross and all sweaty. Yeah. Didn't like it. Okay. So uh, mine is kind of near Ryan's passage. Um, it's on page 114. Uh, Paul says, Crouching like cats, we run on, overwhelmed by this wave that bears us along, that fills us with ferocity, turns us into thugs, into murderers, into God only knows what devils. This wave that multiplies our strength with fear and madness and greed of life, seeking and fighting for nothing but our deliverance. If your own father came over with them, you would not hesitate to fling a bomb at him. So this basically just shows the reader like how like aggressive the war is, like the violence in war. It also shows like the savagery of man, kind of like Jack and Lord of the Flies. So like it shows like how like they're so desperate to survive and their need to survive that like they would do anything and they basically turn into savages. Uh, if you were like in that situation, like the situation of war and battle, how would you feel? Like, would you have the? Would you? Do you think you would have like that? Um, savage mentality. I mean, like, probably. I mean, like, you're in a war zone. Like, we could say whatever we want over here, but like, 
when you're actually there trying to survive, like you would do anything. You I would. mean, it uses the words greed of life. I think that just shows you that these people really want to live. Yeah. So they'll be willing to do anything. Mm -hmm. So a passage I found with imagery was on page 101, and it reads, the front is a cage in which we must await fearfully whatever may happen. We lie under the network of arching shells and live in a suspense of uncertainty. Over us, chance hovers. If a shot comes, we can duck. That is all. We neither know nor determine where it will fall. It is this chance that makes us indifferent. <clears throat> so I thought that this was um, pretty interesting because it shows that chance is the only thing that stands between them and death, and they can't really control whether they live or not. And the impact this had on me was that it, it kind of made me pity the soldiers because it shows like the situation they're in and how little control they have over their lives. I agree that it made the reader feel pity, but when I was reading it, I personally was kind of angry because I'm like, these people didn't know what they were going to get into when they signed up for the war. They were told it'd be this wonderful place where they can fight for their country. And if they'd known that their life is basically going to be a flip of their coin, out of their control, I don't think they at all would be here. And I mean, the result would be the same. Germans lose. Yeah, but like besides pity and anger, I asked about like you know that feeling like when you like get by something and it's like that was a close one, like that that like rush, like you just dodged a bullet, that kind of thing. I felt that when reading this, cause like he said that like he was playing, he went to visit like another part dugout, and then like when he came back, it got blown up, and then he came back to the other one, and it also got blown up. So like that was like a really close one. That's like a very lucky coincidence. It was just kind of cool. Like yeah. you get that rush from it. How do you feel, James? Um, I do. I do feel like um, Eric's comment was true, but like at the same, I, and also I kind of disagree. But I also kind of disagree with what Ryan said. Um, when you sign up for the war, obviously you you obviously don't know like the true level of intensity. I guess like bullets just hailing down like rain. However, they probably still knew what it was like having to fight, having to kill other people, having their friends getting killed. Yeah, but like it probably wasn't on this scale though, because like literally yeah. like millions of people are dying. Yeah, I, and that's what I say. Yeah, because like. Yeah. Um, I found a quote of imagery on page sixty and sixty nine. It says, "I remember the awful sights in the hospital: the gas patients who, in day long suffocation, cough up their burnt lungs and clots. Cautiously, the mouth applied to the valve. I breathe. The gas still creeps over the ground and sinks into all hollows." Like a big soft jellyfish, it floats into our shell hole and lulls it obscenely. Um, after I read this, like it impacted me because it it shows how um, desperate the soldiers are, and obviously, like we talked about, how Eric in Eric's quote, how they did not know the true the true um, uh, level of the war and how obscene it can be and I, I kind of felt bad for them because I mean they're literally here like stuck in like a, a hole trying to you know, avoid gas that may fade, like eventually kill them as can be seen by the gas patients. I don't know like I also felt disgust because when I read this because like it uses like negative connotation words like like um lulls obscenely so like mm -hmm. kind of disgusting because it looks like creepy when the gas like, just moves like that yeah also like just strong imagery when it, they say like cough up their burnt lungs and <clears throat> it just shows like that like paints a picture in my mind that isn't relatively pleasing
I thought it was, you know, kind of cool because they were all, <laughs> they were all yelling gas before it even happened, and then, then the gas came, and then you see its effects, and it's like people who were ready for the gas survived, and those who weren't died, and it's just kind of kind of cool. See, survival fit action. Um, okay. <laughs> that was. So like throughout Okwai on the Western Front, there's like a bunch of like excerpts that represent like symbolism or like images that like are supposed to represent or mean something like more profound. So um, one such example is on page 118 when the German army, they fight with like the French over there. And so they say, Paul says, the corned beef over there is famous along the whole front. Occasionally, it has been the chief reason for a flying raid on our part, for our nourishment is generally very bad. We have a constant hunger. The fellows over there are well looked after. They fare magnificently. As against us, poor starving wretches with our turnip jam, they can get all the meat that they want. So this just represents, like, it symbolizes, like, the inequality of people in the world. Like, not everyone is on, like, the same status, because, like, the enemy has, like, better food and, like, better rations, and then the Germans have, like, crap. So then, anyway, like, it also, like, juxtaposes with, like, Kat's idea in the, like, earlier in the book, where he says, like, if you give them all the same pay and the same food, the war would be over soon. So, like, it also, so this basically just contributes to the theme of, like, the hierarchy of, like, power and wealth in, like, the context of this story. Because, like, you know how, like, officers and, like, maybe, like, different people, they can get more, and then they also get, like, better positions of power compared to, like, regular privates. So, like, it just... There's like a diff there's like levels, yeah. and it's pretty unfair because like the higher ups get more privileges and more food and stuff, but it really it really isn't fair for the um, foot soldiers. Yeah, so I guess you could argue like it's kind of like injustice too. I guess that's a theme. Yeah. Yeah. All right, another bit of symbolism was from page one hundred one to one hundred two. Uh, it's talking about the rats. It says we must look out for our bread. The rats have become much more numerous lately because the tre trenches are no longer in good condition. Um, so the rats are just symbolic of the condition of the trenches. The more rats there are, the worse the condition. And the less rats there are, the better the condition. And because there's more and more um, rats, that means that the conditions are getting worse and worse. And it kind of reflects the how Germany is losing the war. Because not only does France, the French have better food, but they probably have less rats. Um, and a theme that this can contribute to is kind of how this is a new type of war, this is a more modern war. Never before were there rats, or never before, sorry, were there trenches. They were just camps, and in the camps, you know, you're not down low where all the rats like to live. So it kind of, if it wasn't such a new modern war, this wouldn't be an issue. Uh, I don't know about that, man. Like, I think there have been rats throughout like all human history, no matter where you live. Because even if you like, you live in a crappy tent, there's got to be some rats there. Like, I, I mean, I guess you could say it's like a modern war. I just feel like it, like it's the theme is like the like how like low they are in like status and society because they're literally crawling around in the mud and like having like all these diseases and stuff like with lice and rats. So like, I don't really think it's like a modern war. It's just like a crappy war. I kind of agree with. Uh... Ryan here though, it's, the rats just symbolize how unsanitary it is, there's waste, it, and the latrines are just basically just unkept, it's just overflowing with uh, feces and, and with other uh, material, so I think that what um, Ryan said about 
it being on the same tier was on point. However, I do not agree with the part about it's the first time he's in trenches, so that's why there's rats. Yeah, I mean, no, like, I'm not saying it's the first time there are rats. I'm just saying that when you're in a camp, sleeping in a tent, you're not going to be rooming with a rat. But when you're in a trench, you could be rooming with a rat. I mean, if you say like it's a modern war, you would think that there would be like pesticides for this kind of stuff if it was if it was truly a modern war, as you say. Yeah, but I think that the modernness of World War One is not a good thing because it just means there's now gas, there's machine guns. The modernness is a bad thing, and this just further reflects that. And I feel like it was an interesting connection to um, connect the rats to the um, the outcomes of the war. Um, the the more rats there are, it shows like that the German side conditions are getting worse and they're losing. And I thought that was pretty interesting. And another symbolism that I found was on the first page of um, chapter six on on page page ninety nine, and it shows um, and it reads, stacked up against its longer side is a double high wall of yellow unpolished brand new coffins. They still smell of resin and pine and the forest. And this shows that um, the people pre-built coffins before they went on the offensive. And um, it just shows that they accepted their fate of that they're gonna lose hundreds of soldiers. And it contributes to the theme that the effect of the war on the soldier um, is, is negative. So like they accept death? Yeah. Okay. So like what, like what is it like symbolized? What do you think it symbolizes? It just symbolizes like death and their acceptance of death and so would you say like it contributes to like the brutal nature of war? That's like the theme, the overall theme. Yeah, of the, the overall theme is brutal nature of war and yeah. So yeah, I, what I, I think is like just the fact that um, they've pre-built their the place where they're they're gonna lie in once they die. Like just thinking about that just sickens me. But the fact that they've already given up and that they've already pre-built them shows just how like how much the war has affected each and every soldier. Yeah, I just think it's something that I would never be able to do is build my coffin. Because even if, like, I know I'm going to die at 100, which, you know, there's no way of knowing, but even if I knew it, I wouldn't want to build my tombstone, or my, what's it called, my coffin, just because that seems very weird, and it just grossed me out. And I, just, I thought it was also pretty ironic that they would pre-build coffins and, like, display them um, right before they were about to fight. And it just, it was pretty ironic to me. Mm, going along the theme of the horror of war that, that we just uh, talked about, I'll be talking about symbolism on page 62 in chapter 4. It says, The cries continued. It is not men. They could not cry so terribly. Wounded horses, says Karen. It is unendurable. It is the moaning of the world. It is a martyr creation. Wild with anguish, filled with terror, and groaning. Um, the fact that the horses are dying and they're innocent creatures, they have no part in starting the war. I think that symbolizes um, um, the loss of innocence. The horses are innocent in every way, but I feel like um, just the fact that they're dying, it also, it also connects them with, it also connects them with the soldiers. They're not the ones who started the war, but they're the ones that have to eventually fight it. And that, I think that ties in with the theme of the horror of war. They're, they've done nothing wrong. There's so many, so many deaths and casualties. And just the circumstances that the horses are in, the soldiers are in, just highlights the, 
of these horror wars. Yeah, and it's not only the soldiers who are, or it's not only people in the actual fronts that are suffering. There's also people at home that are suffering who didn't want to go to the war. Just like I'm sure how these horses wouldn't want to go to a war if they knew what it was like. Because um, during World War One, everyone was suffering at, in, the, in Germany. Like if you were at home and you had food to eat, you were lucky. So. so like necessarily, I don't think this necessarily represents like the horror war, it just, I think it, the theme in this is like those that don't belong in war because like before like the soldiers they're discussing about like how like they don't really want to fight the enemy, they're just normal people and they don't really have any quarrel with like the other side. It's just like the politicians and like the people who profit from this that actually want the war. So like this, the horses like dying, they just, it just like represents like people. So like I just think like it just represents like the people who don't belong in the war in general like you know yeah and also like adding on to what James said um, right before that section happened like it showed that the soldiers um, there were like dead bodies everywhere and it shows that the soldiers were like joking around with it and they were used to their soldiers dying but then when the horses started dying um, they were, they got upset and angry and it just shows like the horses were innocent and they don't belong in the war but they were still killed. Okay, Thank you for tuning into our podcast. See us next time at our 11.59 p.m. episode next week.